Good morning, those watching online, those here in person. My name is Mark Mullery. I get to be one of the elders in our church. I get to serve on staff as one of the staff elders or pastors, and it's my delight and privilege to bring God's Word to us this morning. We're in this extended series through the Gospel of Mark. The series is called Follow Me, and we come to chapter 13 this morning. But before we go there, late breaking news, we have a ministry uh, meeting update. The, that military ministry picnic that we just said is coming next Saturday, it's actually Sunday. Okay, so you can reach out to the office or the military ministry if you want the updated information on that. As we drop back into the Gospel of Mark, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark through the summer, and Lord willing, the last uh, Sunday in August is when we'll finish this uh, series. This morning, we're in chapter 13. This is a long passage. We typically don't do passages quite this long on Sunday mornings, but it's really one unit. And this is sort of Jesus's farewell speech that he gives to four of the disciples, but it's clearly intended for all of not only his disciples there at the time, but for the church in Rome as they were receiving this gospel in probably the, the, the mid-60s as, as Mark wrote that gospel, and for Redeeming Grace Church here in Fairfax today and for believers in all places and, and all times. So we're in Mark chapter 13, and uh, Sheila and Jeff are going to read the passage for us. So Sheila and Jeff, come on up, and uh, they're going to they're gonna take turns just to provide a little break as we go through this longer passage. So thank you for, for reading. And as he came out, to, out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Luke, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And, and Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of, of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you'll be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but whatever is given you in that hour, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. 
Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in the winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the, the, the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. <clears throat> but in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will, will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. From the fig tree, learn this lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Thank you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our great God, we have just heard words that will outlast the earth. As we hear these words, your words, grant us, I pray, grace to hold fast to them, to cling to you, to serve you, to love you, to walk in all your ways to delight in your ways. Grant us grace and help to be faithful disciples who stay awake until the end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we listen to Jesus, the teacher, if you read through the Gospel of Mark, if you listen carefully to what Jesus has to say, it's often surprising. You know, for example, I think most people seem to think that if you try to live a good life 
God will accept you into heaven when you die. But then if you listen to Jesus, he comes along and says, no, that's, that's not actually how it works. The gospel is the news that you can't be good enough to be accepted by God because you're a sinner. But Jesus comes to give his life as a ransom for sinners. So Jesus comes to teach us to stop trusting in our own efforts to be good and to put our hope in Christ's work on our behalf. So he redefines how to get to heaven. He redefines what it looks like to be a Christian. I think many times if you ask people, what does it look like to live the Christian life? What's a Christian? How does a Christian live? Many people would say, I think something kind of along these lines. Well, if you're a Christian, you should pray, you should read your Bible, and you should go to church and try to be a good person. And if you do those things, life will go well with you. You'll be blessed and, and things will go well. And yet, if we listen carefully to Jesus, especially here in chapter 13, Jesus, the teacher, is going to give us a different model for the Christian life than sort of that conventional wisdom. We're going to find that Jesus has some surprising things to say about the Christian life. The chapter in front of us here, this Mark chapter 13, is the longest speech that Jesus gives in the Gospel of Mark. He is setting expectations for the Christian life. He's getting his disciples ready for what life will look like after he leaves. He knows he's going to ascend to heaven and there's going to be this interim time between when he leaves and when he returns. And so he's, he's giving them instructions for how to live. So I want you to try to sort of picture the scene here. This, in this week that we call Holy Week or the Passion Week, it seems like we're still in Tuesday and a lot's happened on Tuesday, but this is the week, Tuesday here, Friday afternoon, he'll be dead on a cross. So his death is very close. He's leaving the temple, the beginning of the chapter, with his disciples where he's been teaching and, and having, having these debates. And now they've gone just across this little valley and they're sitting on this, uh, this Mount of Olives where the temple is in, in, in plain view to them. Jesus begins this chapter, this, this speech, by predicting the, the demise, the destruction of the temple, that temple that's right there in front of him. But there's more that he does here. Jesus is really speaking Prophetically, he's speaking like a prophet and he's explaining to his followers what's coming. And that's important because we're his followers and what he's explaining about what's coming reaches all the way to us. Now, what's tricky about this passage is that Jesus brings into view the end of two things, the end of the temple and the end of the age. Now, there's a wide variety of views in how people interpret and, and, and handle this passage, and some people think, no, this is only about the end of the temple, and some people have different takes on it, but what I'm going to explain today and what the, makes the most sense to me and is, is in line with, with many commentators is that this is the end of two things. There's a combination of the end of the temple and the end of time, and Jesus goes back and forth between those two things. I think we'll see Jesus switching back and forth between those things. And so you have to follow as you go through the chapter, which one is he talking about, the end of the temple or the end of the age? And that takes a little work. Let me try to give you a, a, an illustration for how to handle this chapter. Here's a picture. 
Okay, if I say, that's a picture, this is a, uh, this is a picture, of the, maybe this is my favorite picture of Leslie and me. Well, where are you looking? Well, obviously, you're looking in the foreground of the picture, right? If I say, here's a picture of the Hong Kong harbor and city at night, where are you looking? You're looking in the background, right? If I say, the light in this picture was surprisingly bright, well, then you might wonder, Am I talking about the light from the camera that's lighting up our faces? Am I talking about the lights of the city generally? Am I talking about that kind of bright light that's sort of off my right shoulder over there? You might not be sure where exactly in the picture to look. As we go through Mark 13, you need to keep asking, where are we in the picture? The temple's in the foreground. The, the end of the age is in the background and Jesus goes back and forth. And sometimes it's not exactly clear if he's talking about one or the other or sort of the whole thing. So we need to have that foreground background perspective in view. Now, the question that I'm going to put before you as we go through this chapter is a simple question. How should we live the Christian life? How should we live the Christian life? I believe this chapter functions for his disciples to explain to them how to live the Christian life. So we're going to take the chapter in three steps. We're going to ask that question, and then we're going to listen to Jesus as he teaches us about what to expect in the Christian life and how to live. And at the end of each section, we'll, we'll provide a, 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 a provisional answer to that question. So the question is what? How should we live the Christian life? If you're taking notes, write that down. How do we live the Christian life? So Here's the first thing that Jesus brings us to, and that is the reality that we live in a dangerous place. Back to verse 1. As he, Jesus, came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to be accomplished? And he began to say to them, see to it that no one leads you astray. So can you picture the scene? He's got these two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John. They've kind of got him off on the side and they're asking, when's this, the temple's going to be destroyed? When's this going to happen? And how do we know? What's coming? So Jesus in this section points us to four things that his people will experience and that we need to be aware of. He, this is sort of situational awareness. The, a few years ago, uh, my wife Leslie and our daughter Kate, they, they took this class on kind of how to be safe out in public. And one of the things that they talked about was situational awareness, looking around when you're getting in your car, or coming out of a store or, or taking a walk, or whatever, just knowing what's going on around you. Well, Jesus wants his disciples to know what's going on around us. And so uh, the first thing he highlights is that the temple will be destroyed. He says that very explicitly in, ver in verse two, this whole section about the abomination of desolation, verses 14 to 23, that's also about the destruction of the temple. It's kind of a weird phrase. What is this abomination of desolation? Well, if you want to understand that, you need to know that there's a history to that phrase. It goes back to the prophet Daniel. In chapter 11 of the book of Daniel, there's a description of the abomination that desolates. Well, what does that mean? 
Well, if you think about something that's an abomination, it's something that's polluted or obscene or corrupt. And something that desolates is something that, that, that violates. It's something that, that leaves something sort of unclean. And so the idea is this abomination of desolation is a violation of sacred space. And Daniel, when he predicted that, it was fulfilled a few hundred years later. Before Jesus comes on the scene in B.C. 167, a pagan king named Antiochus Epiphanes comes into Jerusalem and he sacks the city and he goes into the temple and, and as he goes into the temple as this pagan king, he sets up an altar to Zeus on top of the, the altar of burnt offerings in this holy place. And then they begin to offer these sacrifices and he's seeking to destroy Judaism. He's burning the scrolls of the, of the scriptures. He's banning the Sabbath. And so this man was the embodiment of this abomination of desolation. Now that had already happened. And Jesus is saying, it's going to happen again. And you know what? It did. In AD 70, the Romans rolled into Jerusalem, sacked the city, wiped out the temple and tore it down. And all those stones were leveled. And Jesus is saying in that extended section, 14 and 23, he's saying, listen, if you're around when that happens, don't resist, run, head for the hills, get out of town. So the first thing he's saying is we live in a dangerous place. The temple itself, the center of gravity for Israel is going to be destroyed. He also says there's going to be all kinds of trouble. He predicts that life for, for his people isn't going to be easy. He says, look, there are going to be false messiahs, people saying, I'm the one. People who will try to lead you astray. He says there will be false Christs and false prophets. So he says you've got to be discerning. Don't believe what they say. He also says there's going to be just tumultuous times in the world. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Nations rising against nations. Kingdoms rising against kingdoms. And if you, this is where it's so helpful to read and study history. And you find throughout history there have been these periods of of cataclysmic wars. When Rome was sacked in AD 400, many people thought it was so catastrophic. It was the end of the empire, the end of time. Uh, in in, in uh, 1918, the war to end all wars came to an end. Think of that. The war to end all wars. That's how it was described. And 25 years later, there was another war that was worse. So we have these periods in history of, of wars. He says there will be earthquakes. The earth itself shaking. And I think we could include a sort of under the heading of earthquakes, things like hurricanes, floods, heat waves. Sometimes when things like this happen, Christians say, wow, can you believe that just happened? It must be time for Jesus to return. And Jesus is actually saying, no, that's not how you're to think about that. He says, when these things happen, this isn't the end these are the signs that the end is not yet. That's what he says in verse 7. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. This parenthesis between his, uh, his ascending to heaven and his return is going to be punctuated by times of trouble. And more than that, the third thing he points us to is persecution. Severe persecution. Verses 9 through 13 highlight this severe persecution that his people will experience. Now keep in mind, Jesus is saying this on Tuesday. 
On Thursday, he'll be betrayed by a friend, delivered over, beaten, hated, condemned, and crucified on Friday. So he's leading the way in experiencing the kind of persecution that he's talking about here. And now he's telling his disciples that, hey, if you're going to follow him, you can expect the same kind of treatment because the pathway for the Christian is from suffering to glory. That's the pathway that Christ blazed the trail through for us. Never alone, Holy Spirit with us, the good shepherd with us, never abandoned, but He's setting expectations for his people. And if we live in a time that isn't like what he's talking about here, where all are hating his people and children are killing their parents over their, 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 their Christian faith, well, we can thank God that we live in a time relatively peaceful. We can also remember that in other parts of the world, people are experiencing exactly that. And in history, many Christians have experienced exactly that. And there's more to come. But we need not fear because in the midst of that, he says, you will bear witness before kings and governors. And when that happens, he says, when because of your faith, you're hauled before these people, don't worry about what you're going to say. You won't be alone. The Holy Spirit will speak through you. And I encourage you, saints, whatever happens in your life, whether it's persecution or some other means, and you stand before a CEO or a president or a reporter, fear not. The Holy Spirit will work through you in those times. Why? Because the fourth thing that Jesus highlights in this time is mission. Look at verse 10. Fix your eyes there. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Hear this. Jesus is saying, look, disciples, you're going to experience difficulty following him. But the gospel is unstoppable. It doesn't take a culture that loves Christianity as a culture for the gospel to go forward. In fact, often the gospel will go forward in the most difficult of circumstances. But church, believers, disciples, brothers and sisters, stay on mission. Proclaim this good news to your children, to your family members, to your neighbors, to your co-workers, to the ends of the earth. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone of a new temple. And Jesus is gathering living stones from every nation, tribe, and tongue to become part of his new family. And we get to be part of that. So how should we live the Christian life? Well, don't be surprised by trouble, but be prepared. Don't be surprised by trouble. Be prepared. Listen to the teacher constantly. The Christian life isn't, hey, if, if you pray and go to church and, and give some money and do some good things, you're, gonna, you're, you're not going to have any problems. Your kids are going to adore you and, and, and everything's going to go right for you. No, that's, that's not the model. The model is this, the one who endures to the end will be, what? Well, how's it end? Saved. That's right. That's the model. The one who endures to the end will be saved, verse 13. So be on guard. Be on guard against false teaching. Be on guard and don't try to calculate the time of the end. And if anybody tells you they know when the end is coming, don't Listen, because they're wrong. Jesus says he doesn't know. Second, 
Jesus promises to come back. Verses 24 to 27. Look there with me, please. Be encouraged by these wonderful verses. But in those days, Jesus says, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds of the, and from the, hev- from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Now, Jesus has been talking about the destruction of the temple. Are these verses just another way of describing the destruction of the temple? And some people say that's the case. And I believe that's actually not the case. I believe here Jesus is moving from foreground, destruction of the temple, to background, the end of the age. Now, verses 24 and 25, this language about the sun being dark and the moon not giving its light, the stars falling. This is, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll find that language is there. It's called apocalyptic language. It's language that talks about dramatic change and tumult, especially when God comes on the scene. And sometimes that language is used about things that happen in time. For example, specifically, when Jesus is on the cross, it says the sun goes dark for three hours. Okay, so... Those verses could be referring to something like the the temple destruction, but verse 26 is the clincher to me. Look back at verse 26. And then they will see the Son of Man. Who's that? That's Jesus, as we've seen him describing himself throughout the Gospel of Mark, coming out of Daniel chapter 7. They will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And what's he doing? He's sending out his angels to gather up his people. When he comes in clouds with great power and glory, that's exactly what the, when Jesus ascends to heaven in Acts chapter one, and his disciples are standing there watching where he's gone. And the angel says, he's going to return in exactly the same way that he left. And what, what we have described for us here is that return. And I want you to think about this, how different his second coming will be from the first. How different this return will be from what we remember and celebrate at Christmas time when Christ was born of Mary. Augustine, writing in the 5th century, says it this way. He says, The first coming of Christ, the Lord, God's Son, and our God, was in obscurity. The second will be in the sight of the whole world. Now just ponder that. It doesn't matter what time zone you live in, when Jesus comes back, everybody's going to see him. It doesn't matter if you're on the side of the globe where it's night or on the side of the globe where it's day, everybody will see him. This will be a unique worldwide event. There will be no question and no doubt. It will be in the sight of the whole world. And when he, so then he goes on to say, when he came in obscurity, no one recognized him but his own servants. When he comes openly, he will be known by both the good and the bad. When he came in obscurity, it was to be judged. When he comes openly, it will be to judge. Oh, how different this will be. He's coming with great power and glory. Now we live by faith, then by sight. And when he returns, he will be vindicated. When he returns, war and hatred, and murder, 
and lying and poverty and cancer and earthquakes and scorching heat will be gone. Gone. A new creation will come. Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead and to bring the elect, his people, to gather them to be home with him. Oh, brothers and sisters, don't skip over this part. Tune in here to this part. This is the hope of the Christian. The Apostle Paul calls this our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I ask you this morning, is this your hope? Is this your hope? Brothers and sisters, hear these words. He's coming for you. From before creation, God has had a plan to gather for himself a people to be with him to be his people and he to be their God, to enjoy the glories of his perfections forever. And Jesus comes and calls his elect to himself through the means of repentance and faith. And so we preach the gospel calling people to repentance and faith and all who respond with repentance and faith come into his family and there will be a day when he will return for people who have called on his name. Can you imagine? What will that be like? It says he will send the angels to gather the elect. So there's some kind of a meeting that goes on. Jesus and like how many angels are we talking about here? And, and it's like there's lists, right? There's names. The angels get names of people. Names like your names. Your name is going to be on some angels list. And the angels are then going to spread out to the four corners of the globe. So it's like Jesus saying, okay, you go to Fairfax and you get Julie and Tom and Sarah. Mullery's taking a nap, so you can get him later. He'll be ready. And then then the angels start showing up. This is our world. There are angels coming and Gathering up. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to hear your name? Ponder that. And, and then what? Like, what's the transportation system? Like, Elijah got this chariot. Like, do we each get our own fiery chariot? Like, do these, like, can we fly? Does the angel, like, have really big arms and there's a thousand of us all? Like, How is this going to work? Oh, are you awake and excited about Christ's return? Or are you drowsy and sleepy? Without this hope, brothers and sisters, without this great saving person, Jesus Christ, Christian living can sink into drudgery Joyless living. He wants this hope to spring up so that it's a blessed hope and it gives joy to you today. That's why these words are in his book. And sober moment, 
Not everybody's name is on the list. What about those whose name isn't on the list? Aren't on the list? For those who reject Jesus as king, his return will not be a blessed hope. It will be certain destruction. That's a fact. So I appeal to you today. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, think about these things. Listen to the teacher. Think about eternity. Think about what happens the second after you die. Repent. Turn to Jesus Christ for rescue. Let your sins be blotted out. You can be reconciled to God while there's still time. Question, how should we live the Christian life? Answer, with blessed hope. With blessed hope in the return of the Son of Man. He's coming in clouds of glory. And he's coming for you. Finally, Jesus, the teacher, takes us to one more thing. Jesus gives you work to do. He closes out this farewell speech with two parables, one about a fig tree and one about a man going on a journey. As far as I can tell, the one about the fig tree, the leaves getting green, it's springtime. I think that relates to the destruction of the temple. I think that's the foreground of the picture. And the reality is, he says, this generation won't pass away until these things are fulfilled. And, and the generation that heard Jesus teach that, well, 40 years later, that destruction of the temple happened. And so 40 years, one generation, he was right on target with that. Jesus knows what he's talking about. And then he tells us a second story about a man going on a journey and leaving his servants in charge while he's gone and leaving it uncertain when he will return. It's remarkable here that Jesus, we see his, his divinity, we see his, his, his awesome understanding of the future, and we see that he has words that will never pass away. We also see his humanity because in this one person, he's fully human and fully divine. And in his humanity, he has some limitations, like he doesn't know exactly when he's coming back. But he does know this, and he tells us this. He's leaving. He's a man going on a journey, and he's gone on that journey. As we heard last week in the sermon that, that Vince brought to us from the previous passage, Psalm 110, where we started the, message, the, the meeting this morning, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand while I make your enemies your footstool. And that's where Jesus is now. He's seated at the Father's right hand. He's taken this journey to heaven, but one day he will return. And he's left us in charge of his kingdom while he's in heaven. He's left us with a mission to deny ourselves and take up our crosses and follow him. He's left us with a mission to make disciples of all nations, to persevere through tribulation, to cling to him and love him and delight in him and walk by faith in him and proclaim him. He leaves us with this simple assignment. He puts his servants in charge, each with his work. So saints, what's your work? What's he calling you to? What's your job? Well, at one level, he told us, we heard this previous passage, love God and love your neighbor. You can always start there. Love God and love your neighbor. Listen to the teacher. Stay awake. How should we live the Christian life? Well, it's pretty simple. 
Be faithful to do his work. Be faithful to love God and love your neighbor. Be faithful as he leads and directs and guides you in your conversations, in your relationships, in your career, in all that's going on in your life. And what happens when you do that? What happens is you have the joy when he returns of hearing those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus is looking for faithful servants. And you know, when you serve the Lord, you serve him with gladness, when you persevere in the midst of trouble and difficulty, do you know what happens? As you do that, Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father, is vindicated and enemies are brought beneath his feet. Sit at my right hand while I bring your enemies beneath your feet. Do you know that how you're living right now is part of Christ's enemies being brought beneath his feet? Do you know that? Do you have a vision for the difference your life is making? Every time a Christian chooses to treasure Christ over sin, an enemy is brought beneath his feet. Every time a Christian clings to Christ in the midst of suffering or when mistreated or hated or even killed, another enemy is brought beneath his feet. Every time an unbeliever hears the good news about Jesus and humbly repents and turns to Christ, an enemy is brought beneath his feet. His kingdom expands. Every time a Christian puts their hope not in making heaven on earth, but in making it to the city whose builder and maker is God. Oh, every time that happens, enemies, Satan, sin, rebellion against God, those enemies are brought beneath his feet. When you live by faith, when you are faithful servants and the master's not here, you not only are being prepared to receive a wonderful reward when he returns, you are part of the vindication and the exaltation of Jesus Christ by faith here and now and one day in glory when he returns. That's what this is all about. How should we live the Christian life? Can you hear Jesus addressing us today? These are his words to us. He's speaking to us. He's calling us to a life of faithfulness in the midst of trouble and of hope in the midst of suffering and opposition and of joy when he returns. The blessed hope. So brothers and sisters, let us press on following Christ. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill, his truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. That's the song we'll sing in just a moment.